So have you ever gotten something for free? Have you ever, ever gotten something for free? About 18 years ago, my wife won a prize pack from Firehouse Subs. It was a prize pack of all kind of stuff for our favorite college football team. She got a bunch of t-shirts. Um, she got like, a, I think it was a card for like a sub of the month for a year. Um, she got this really cool official full-size uh, helmet, football helmet. And then and she got a sideline pass to a home game. Now the sideline pass was pretty nifty uh, because that means she got to go to the certain gate show her pass and she got to go right into where the action was she got to stand right on the field where everything was going on there's something fun about having a pass for something like that now imagine if they called and said hey you're, you won this prize pack I don't even remember how she won it either I don't know if she actually submitted her name or what somehow she won it but what if they would have called and said hey we, you won this prize pack and all this stuff is right here at this address just come down between these times and you can get it and Karen just went eh, I'm just gonna stay home and watch Matlock you know I, I, there's a couple of more episodes there's a there's a Matlock marathon ah who cares about all this free stuff that sounds foolish, right? I mean, if we get something free, generally speaking, you take the free thing and you do something with it. What if you could receive a pass of freedom and this pass of freedom would actually change the world around you? We're going to be looking in the Bible at Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Our, our message today is what freedom does, what freedom does. And what Paul's going to be writing about is that pass of freedom, that, that pass of freedom that, that does something, that pass of freedom that can change the lives of your family and your friends and people you don't even know in and around your life. So what is that pass and, and what is this freedom and what is this thing, this pass of freedom does? Well, let's see if we can find out. We'll begin in verse 14 of Galatians chapter 5. Paul writes, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The, the whole law, all of God's law, the, the whole law of the universe, all wrapped up in one word, and that word is love. Now, if we're honest, our minds immediately might roll a little bit, you know, oh, love. I mean, love's everywhere, right? We, we hear about love in every corner of life. And, and we have so many things we love. We love football, and we love baseball, and we love pickleball, and we love shopping, and we love hunting, and we love fishing, and we love golfing, and, and we, like, we love social media, and we, we love food, and we love shaved ice. And, and if we're honest, we seem to kind of love being angry about society and politics. You know, we, we love a lot of things. But that's not the kind of love Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about love to people. He's talking about loving people. And loving people is one of the easiest things in the world to do, right? Got anybody that uh, in your life right now that you're having a hard time loving? 
Um, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't say any names. It's all right. And we all have some times where there's someone in our life that's just kind of hard to love. I don't know if you know this, but people can be loud and rude and selfish and lazy and impatient and obnoxious and anxious and a lot of other things. People can be like that. And because people can be like that, sometimes they are hard to love. And if you did not know this, we are people. That means that sometimes I'm hard to love and sometimes you are hard to love. This, this is the reality of the world, the reality of humanity. Sometimes love is hard. However, because we are followers of Jesus Christ, we have been commanded, pushed, pressed to love. No matter what side of the tracks you grew up on, what side of the tracks you live on now, doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have, doesn't matter the color of your skin or, or what country you live in, Christians have been called to love. We've been called to love. And why? Why have we been called to love? Because we've been given a pass freedom. We've been given this pass of freedom that really is beyond our imagination. Well, what does that mean? Well, Paul has spent the first four and a half chapters of this letter to Galatia, and he's writing to the people about how a person can be right with God, how a person can be right with the one true God of the universe. And basically what he says over those four and a half chapters is a person cannot get right with God by just being a nice person or just being a member of a church or just obeying God's law. And why? Well, because we can't obey God's law. I cannot continually and perfectly obey God's law. You cannot continually and perfectly obey God's law. We have something in common. We are law breakers. We are law breakers, so therefore we can't follow the law enough to make things right with God. No matter how much activity at church, no matter how much Christian activity we may have, we cannot make ourselves right with God. So how does a person get right with God? How does a person get to a point where things are right with them and the one true God of the universe? Well, there's only one way, and the one way is through the amazing, instigating work of the grace of God through our faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Or, or put another way, the only way for a person to be right with God is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is the math. This is how it works. And what happens when a person is made right with God? What happens when a person's heart is changed, when, when things are, are different? What happens is they're given a pass of freedom. This pass of freedom, it, it has an impact. Listen to what Paul said just one sentence before this, Galatians 5, 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. This, this family of, of freedom that all Christians have been called into. Paul says that your faith in the person of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished in and through his death on the cross and in and through his resurrection from the dead, faith in that releases us from the prison of sin. And faith in the person of Jesus Christ also frees us from the eternal judgment of hell 
releases us from the penalty of sin and frees us from the eternal judgment of hell. That makes this pass the greatest sideline pass in the universe. To be able to to bypass sin and death, to be able to not just have a past that will get you into eternal life, meaning that you, you escape death. You don't just escape death, you escape death into a life that is fully satisfying, full of joy, full of satisfaction forever and ever and ever. That's the pass of freedom. Now, does this pass of freedom mean that we can kind of do whatever we want you know someone may say yeah I mean I I know I'm an impossible spouse I know I I slack off at work I know I don't honor my parents I know I'm overbearing with my kids even though they're grown and out of the house I I know I'm a terrible tipper at the restaurants I I know that that on any given day I spend a lot more time watching Newsmax or CNBC or scrolling through social media than I do reading the Bible or, or praying or, or volunteering at church or, or really doing anything that has anything to do with Christianity, but it's okay because I'm free in Christ. <laughs> that's, that's not what Paul's saying. In fact, thinking that way, it sounds the opposite of a person who's received amazing grace. It sounds opposite of a person who's been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and death into the kingdom of light and life. Paul is not saying, hey, you've got a, a pass of freedom, so go do whatever you want. It's, it's fine. Now, is there some truth that, that in Christ we are free to kind of do whatever we want? In a sense, yeah, we are. However, part of what it means to be free in Christ is you don't want to do whatever you want. Part of what it means to be free in Christ is you don't exist to get your way. Part of what it means to be free in Christ is you're wanting what God wants. You're, you're wanting to honor God. You're wanting to, to make the name of Jesus famous. We could just say it this way. Being free in Christ means you are free to love. Free to love. Listen to these words again from Paul. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, now let's back up for just a second. I just got through telling you that Paul spent four and a half chapters saying that we cannot make ourselves right by fulfilling the law. And now here he comes up in chapter five and says, oh yeah, you can fulfill the law. You just gotta love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. Has Paul lost his mind? Is he being a hypocrite? He's talking both sides, out, out of both sides of his mouth? No. Paul is not saying that you can make yourself right with God by fulfilling the law. However, fulfilling the law and being saved by the law are two completely different things. The law cannot save us. Only God can save us. Only God can redeem. But the law does show us we need to be saved. Without the truth of God's law that we find in the Bible, we wouldn't know we, we need to be saved. We, we think we're fine. Everybody's going to heaven, no big deal. But, but the law helps us see that we need to be saved, that we need God. And once we're saved, the law is our helper. How's the law our helper? I love what Charles Spurgeon said more than 100 years ago. Some men hold God's law like a rod in terror over Christians. And they say, if you sin, you'll be punished with it. It is not so. The law is 
under a Christian, for him to walk on, to be his guide. The law is the road which guides us, not the rod which drives us. The law is good and excellent if it keeps its place. Hmm, so, so where is its place? Where is the, the place of the law in the life of a Christian? Where's the place of God's law in the life of a Christian? Well, it's, it's a special place because once a person is saved, the law, there's, there's this way for us to fulfill the law. H- how in the world could we do that? Well, very simply by obeying it. Very simply by obeying it. In other words, one clear piece of evidence that a person has truly been saved, that a person is truly right with God, is that they love obeying God. They, they love God's ways, and they seek to obey them. One day Jesus was teaching, and, and he repeated the words from the Old Testament. He said to the crowd that day, he said, the, the first and greatest and foremost commandment, is to love God first and most, to love God with everything that you have. And if you love God with everything you have, then the second commandment kind of automatically becomes a part of your daily life. Not Sunday morning for an hour or two, but, but your daily life is marked with the second commandment. If you love God first and most, then you will, by default, from the second commandment, love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. It's, it's an outpouring. There's no one like the one true almighty God. So if we're loving him first and most, he will fill up our heart with his love and it spills out in the lives of other people. But to many people, including many of us as professing Christians, this may not be something we pursue. We we may hear, oh, well, I need to love God first and most. And that sounds really good. But we may not always do it. And why? Well, it's because we have so many other loves in life. We just do. We, we love so many things in the world that, that somewhere in our minds we start thinking, well, loving God, eh, it's not enough. I need a new house. I need a new car. I need a, a better job. I, I can't have just one kind of toothpaste. Come, give, me, give me 75 kinds of toothpaste. You know, I, I can't have just one mouthwash. Give me, give me all of them. I can't just have one fast-through drive-through restaurant. I need, I need a lot more. I need more and I need more. One thing is not enough. No person is enough, but we try. What we do is we say, well, loving God is not enough, so I've, I've got to get a boyfriend. I've got to get a girlfriend. I've got to get a, a spouse. I have to get a job. I've got to get a favorite team. I have to go to this destination vacation. And we begin to have all of these lists of things that we say, well, I have to do. That, the whole fear of missing out is almost like a fear of loving out. Like We have to love more because for some reason we're convinced God could never be enough. And we chase, and we chase, and we chase, and we chase. And there's nothing wrong with any of the things that we're chasing. There's, there's nothing wrong with the vacation. There's nothing wrong with the best team. There's, there's nothing wrong with 75 kinds of toothpaste. I mean, it's fine, whatever. There's nothing evil or wrong about those things, but, but somehow we use those things to convince ourselves that loving God is not enough, that loving God will not satisfy us. Here's the beauty of Christianity. For all of the truth and all of the law that we've been called to follow after, there's only one first and greatest and foremost commandment. 
And there are times in my life I am so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that, that I can just say, Jesus, thank you so much that all of our doctrine can be found and wrapped up in, in one statement. Thank you for making it that simple. When I'm off course, thank you for making the compass so simple for getting back on course. When I am chasing after so many things in life, people, places, things, trying to, to fill that void, trying to, to find something that I can love that will love me back. And when I keep hitting the wall and I see that those people and those places and those things, they're so temporary and they don't really love back. They don't really get to my soul. They don't give me the rest that I want the most. In those moments, thank you, Jesus, that getting back on the right path all comes down to kind of one sentence, and it's a sentence I can understand. Love God first and most. And how kind is, is the second commandment? It's, it's just as easy to understand. Love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. It's, it's extreme kindness from God that we would be able to, to see, wait a minute, if I'm looking for purpose, if I'm looking for meaning, that I'm gonna find it in, in loving God and, and loving my neighbor in the same way that I love myself. And what does that even mean? How do you love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself? Well, it means that all the clean water and all the clean food and all the clean bills of health and all the safety and all the security and, and all the financial blessings and all the happiness and success and prosperity that you want for yourself and your kids and your grandkids, you want for other people. Again, it's simple math. You, you actually long that other people would have the same blessings that you have. It's, it's a desire of your heart. So just kind of basic question, do we desire that? I mean, look at how we shop between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Do we really desire that the other person gets that last set of gloves, you know? Do, do we really desire that, that other people would benefit, that other people would have good in their lives? Or, or have we become so mirror-centered, meaning that, that we only just look at ourselves, that we, we forget the, the depth and the simplicity of this command from Jesus to love God and, and love our neighbors in the same way we love ourselves. Once we are saved, one of the things that happens is we discover this path of freedom that we have. And when we discover the path of freedom that we have, there's something that happens. Freedom does something. And Jesus said, well, we can go all the way back. God said in the Old Testament, Jesus repeated it. Now Paul's repeating Jesus that what freedom does is freedom loves. That's what freedom does. From the, from the words of Almighty God through his son, freedom loves. But what happens if we don't love like that? What happens if we say we're free but we don't really love? Well, Paul tells us in verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. So the opposite of loving one another is biting and devouring one another. It's, it's fighting with each other in such a way that you are determined to get your way, determined to make sure that your personal preference has to be everyone's presence, personal preference. It, it's, it's teasing, it's, 
It's joking, it's, it's mocking in a way that's unnecessary. But it's the kind of teasing and joking and mocking that's not really a joke because underneath that teasing and that joking and some of that mumbling is the truth of our hearts. It's, it's what we're really thinking. It's how we really think about things. And biting and devouring is especially dangerous in the life of a church. Because if the church is biting and devouring instead of loving one another, the weirdest thing is happening. The church is actually self-destructing. The church is actually falling apart if we're failing to fight through selfishness and pride and love one another. So the picture is, do you want the church to self-destruct? Do you want the church to, to fail and, and fall apart? Well, so then, then just fight and, and bite and devour and, and always be at odds, always be at conflict. And that's not just true of the church, right? The reality is if, if fighting and, and biting and devouring is, is what's happening in our marriages or what's happening at home or work or anywhere else, we're doing the exact same thing. We're, we're self-destructing. We're, we're tearing things apart. But if we want the church to be healthy, if we want our marriages to be healthy, if we want our, our families to be healthy, if we want any of our relationships to be healthy, then we should pursue this first and greatest and foremost commandment to love God first and most and to love our neighbor in the same way that we love ourselves and it's not just true for home it's not just true for church it's true for some other things in life right on this particular week when when we celebrate God's amazing grace and our independence as a country it's probably really helpful for us to be reminded that the opposite of freedom is biting and devouring that, that biting and devouring is the opposite of what it means to be free no that doesn't mean that we don't fight for truth and justice doesn't mean that we don't stand up and boldly proclaim the gospel in our culture it just means that biting and devouring is the opposite of freedom so what do we see most in our nation today we see a lot of biting and devouring so are we really functioning as free people The greatest and, and foremost and, and first commandment is what Paul is pointing us back to. He's, he's taking everything back to the command that God gave the Hebrew people after he freed them from slavery in Egypt. And the command was love me first and most and love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. Paul's repeating that because Jesus repeated it. The words of Jesus were the same. Love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. I might add, too, that, that loving your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself means that if you have found Christ, you want them to find Christ. So that means part of loving our neighbor is helping them see their need to be saved. That's part of what it means to love. So how do we do that? How do we love other people in the same way that we love ourselves? Well, the answer to that question is wrapped up in how you love yourself. How do you love yourself? I mean, that's, that's a pretty good mantra for our culture today. You just need to love yourself first. You need to love yourself. There's a lot about loving ourselves. But, but what does it mean as a Christian to love yourself? John Piper says this about loving yourself. All my longings for me, I find in him. 
My quest for happiness is now nothing other than a quest for God, and God has been found in Jesus Christ. What's the best way to love yourself? What is the best way to love yourself? The best way to love yourself is to discover and embrace that everything you actually long for is found in Jesus Christ. This is not religious jargon. This, this is the reality of life. So we're cruising to Arkansas last week. We stop about 9.15 in Leeds, Alabama at the Bucky's. Some of you have been. And, and I go into the Bucky's. There's not a lot of people at 9.15. If you go any other time, there's thousands of people, but 9.15 is not bad. So going to Bucky's, I walk in, and, and if you've never been, you know, in the men's restaurant, men's bathroom, I hadn't been in the women's, but in the men's bathroom, you know, there's this, like, you know, 75 urinals and all these, I mean, it's like being in a nice hotel in New York City, and, and there's, you know, uh, the, all the, the, the uh, what do you call it, place you wash your hands, sinks are in the middle of the room, and, and uh, there's, there's always an attendant in there. So I'm in there and I'm, I'm washing my hands and all of a sudden, you know, the attendant comes up and he's like, hey, young man, how you doing? Which, you know, he's 20 years younger than me or more. And I was like, hey, bud, how you doing? Doing all right. He's like, good. He goes, so what's the secret to a good marriage? And I'm like, what? what? Does this happen to everybody or do I just have that face, you know? And so I'm just like, uh, so I'm, you know, I was like, well, um, so I told him this, you know, this kind of funny thing that I heard about marriage that morning. And he was like, okay, I've never heard that before. I said, well, listen, I said, but if, you, if you're looking for the, the ultimate answer, the ultimate answer to your question is gonna be found in the person of Jesus Christ. I said, I'm, I'm not trying to be religious or, or churchy. I said, it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. I said, that doesn't mean that you won't find people who are atheists who have great marriages, but you're asking me, what is the secret of a good marriage? And I'm telling you, the secret of a good marriage is knowing the person of Jesus Christ. He's like, okay, so it's, it's all about knowing the Lord. I said, yeah. He goes, okay, so what's the secret to parenting? I was like, come on, man, give me, give me a second. And I said, I don't know, still trying to figure that one out. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when I die. You know, whatever they say at my funeral, well, well maybe that'll be it, you know. But I said, well, I, it's the same answer. It's, it's, it's no different. So anyway, so I walk out and, you know, Karen's out getting a snack or whatever, and I was like, I mean, once again, I'm just washing my hands and I get the hardest questions in the universe to a stranger, to a stranger. I was like, I don't understand. So I'm kind of laughing, telling Karen, I was like, hang on, I'm gonna go find him again. So I went back and, and I found him. He, he, no, I didn't go back to the bathroom. <laughs> I did. He, he was coming out on a break. I'd had a lot of water on the way out, but not that much. So he came out and, and so we're kind of, you know, sitting there talking. I was like, hey man, I, I just want to be sure you, I'm, I'm really talking about the person. Of Jesus Christ and he began to tell me some of the story of his life right now and it he's in the middle of some overwhelming things and I told him I said here's the joy of knowing the person of Jesus Christ I said all these things that are overwhelming you right now I said one year from now when you're celebrating your daughter's first birthday I was like you will not be thinking about any of these things that are overwhelming you right now because they'll all be finished and done. I said, that's the beauty of what it means to know Christ. There really is this truth that there's always something to look forward to because reality is not what we think is reality. Reality is what will happen 10,000 years from now, not just 10 minutes from now. When we say that 
the best way to love yourself is to discover and embrace that everything you want in life is found in Jesus. We're not being religious. It is the truth of the universe, and it's, it's why we proclaim it. So if that's the, way to, to, the best way to love yourself, what's the best way to love your neighbor? Well, the best way to love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself is to help them discover and embrace that everything they long for the most is found in Jesus Christ. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that, oh, I want a, I want a new car, so Dow says I just need to you know, follow Jesus and I'll get a new No, we're not talking about what your heart, because your heart doesn't long for a car as much as you think. And your heart doesn't long for a perfect marriage as much as you think. Your heart doesn't long for your kids to grow up and do well in life as much as you think. And all those things are good. What your heart longs for the most, because it was created this way, is to know God and to love God and be right with God. That's what every human heart longs for the most, because every heart was created that way. And the way to satisfy that, all of it, is found in the person of Jesus Christ. On May 4th, 1865, the funeral service for President Abraham Lincoln was held in Springfield, Illinois. The minister that was doing the service was from New York City. His name was Reverend Matthew Simpson. And, and during his funeral message, he referenced a conversation that President Lincoln had had uh, before with, with a different minister. And in that conversation, they were discussing the Civil War and decisions that were being made. And, and the minister said to the president, he said, well, I hope the Lord is on our side. And this was President Lincoln's response to him. It gives me no concern whether the Lord is on our side or not. For I know the Lord is always on the side of right. But God is my witness that it is my constant anxiety and prayer that both myself and this nation should be on the Lord's side. So, are you on the Lord's side. Now, let me, let me hurt all of our feelings for a moment. The Lord's side is not always the side of conservative Christianity. And the Lord's side is not always the side of progressive Christianity. But he's got a side, and it's clear, and you don't have to look very far to find it. In fact, he gave it to us in two commandments, <laughs> to love him first and most, and to love our neighbor in the same way that we love ourselves. So are you on the Lord's side? Have you truly repented of your sin, received the salvation that, that only comes through Jesus Christ? Are you loving God first and most? Not perfectly, none of us will. Are you loving your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself? Not perfectly, because none of us will. But are these things seen in your life? If so, then those are the evidences that you're on the Lord's side. Because those are the evidences that you've actually received the pass of freedom. So on this Independence Weekend, on this Independence Week, on this week when we joyfully celebrate our freedom when we peel all the layers back are you truly free if you
you're loving God first and most and loving your neighbor as yourself, then, dear friend, you are free. You are free indeed.